0: I preach from the ESV and Rick reads from the King James, so it's it's fun. Um, I, my ESV says "weak women." But I, I like silly women. That's good. I'm gonna I'm just gonna say that one today. I think. Have my own translation up here. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us this morning to think clearly about your word, and then and think about ourselves. That that we would that this would be a time where we're looking into your word um, as a as a person looks into a mirror. That we would. That we would change the way we need, the ways we need to change today. That we would be convicted, we'd be comforted, we would grow in godliness because of our time in your word. We're, we're confident that your spirit does that in your people through your word. And so we pray that you do it today, God. In Christ's name, amen. My dad um, grew up in northern Michigan. In the He was born in 42, um, so he grew up in the 40s and the 50s. They didn't play soccer in northern Michigan. Farm farm kids didn't play soccer in northern Michigan. They played football. There's a huge difference between football and soccer. And my dad will wax eloquently about the differences. If you ever want him to, he will. He um, does not like soccer at all. Um, And he went to all of my games, and he would go to his children's games, his grandchildren's games, uh, if people that he loved and cared about were playing, he would show up and cheer them on, but he would never choose to watch the game. He would never choose to watch the game where he didn't have people who he loved playing. Um, his, uh, his, one of his big problems with soccer, he has lots of them, and they're probably an alphabet, they're probably a, a, he's probably got them alphabetized that, um, and categorized, but his, one of his big reasons is all of the, the faking that happens in soccer. In soccer, if you're in the penalty box um, and someone bumps into you or trips you while you have the ball, you get a free kick. And it's, I mean, it, it's almost a guaranteed goal. It's, I mean, so it's a its a good thing if you're dribbling the soccer ball and you're in the penalty box to fall over. It's a good thing to fall over and try to get that free kick. So there's a lot of people who fake. I never would have, ever. Ever. But I'm just saying it it, it does happen. It does happen. So my dad grew up playing football, and he would tell you, no, the real athletes, they don't fall over. They, they knock other people over, but the real athletes don't fall over. It's not a virtue to fall over in football. In soccer, it's a virtue to fall over. It's a good thing. People falling all over the time, like they, like they just they just got assaulted or mugged. <laughs> and they're falling over, grabbing their leg. And... Uh, it's entertaining. I'm fine with it because I've watched a lot of soccer, played a lot of soccer. I'm fine with it. It's part of the game. Fakers are part of the game. So it's fine. It's not fine with my dad. It is not fine with him. He thinks it's probably what's wrong with America if you ask him. It's... Dad, what's wrong with America? Soccer would be like in the top three or four things. We were fine until we introduced that sport. <laughs> Paul is saying to us in these verses, fakers are absolutely a part of the life of the church. The story of the church, you're going to have fakers. You just are. And when I'm watching a soccer game, I'm not surprised when, when there are fakers out there. And Paul is saying to us, don't, don't be surprised in your, in your life, As you are following Jesus, as you're trying to help other people follow Jesus, as you're trying to gather as saints and worship God, don't be surprised when fakers show up. He says in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3, he says, But understand this. Get a hold of it. Believe it. It's going to happen. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And so we are, we are living in the last days, cause Paul, when he's, when he says last days here, he just means any time before Jesus comes back. And so he's talking to Timothy in first century Ephesus, and he's gonna talk about this last days things in just a few minutes. He's gonna talk about that in the present tense. So we're living in the last days, or the way Paul means it here. And and you can just be sure, before Jesus comes back, there's going to be times of difficulty, verse 2, because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. And he goes on and on and on. And he gets to verse 5. And this is what he says. Look at verse 5. It says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Which means they look like church people. They they smell like church people. Sometimes they even talk like church people. They they are they are they are regular attenders or members in a local church, or or at least they they claim to belong to God. They they, they have the appearance of godliness. They look like they fit in, but they deny the power of godliness, which means this literally means they're not saved. They're not believers. The Holy Spirit of God is not at work in them. They've never believed the Gospel. They don't belong to, to, to Jesus. They're not in. Verse 8 is going to say they oppose the truth. That is such a key um, phrase to understand these nine verses. They oppose the truth. They are corrupted in their mind. They're disqualified regarding the faith. They look, they have the appearance of godliness, but they don't actually belong to God. And since since the Holy Spirit of God hasn't regenerated them, He hasn't given them new birth, and since He's not convicting them, and He's not strengthening them, since He's not helping them to understand and believe and submit to the Word of God, He's not helping them obey God and honor God, since since they don't belong to God and since they're not being changed by God, they have no ability to grow in godliness. They're denying the power of it. They want nothing to do with the gospel. They're denying the power of godliness. So that's who Paul is going to talk about here in these verses, these nine verses. He's going to give us a very vivid description of them. He's going to point out what they uh, they look like, how they live, what their ministry is like. He's going he's to give us the, the life of the faker. He's going to give us the ministry of the faker. And he's going to give us the end for the faker. He's going to give us their biography. So we're going to see it. So we're not surprised when they show up. So we're going to think about that together. That's sort of the, the way our sermon is going to be set up. The life of the faker, the ministry of the faker, the end for the faker. But then we're going to not only think about them, them, them for a little while. At the end of the sermon, we're going we're gonna to think about ourselves, how we should live in light of what we learn here. So let's think about those first three things together. First, we have the, the life of the faker in verses 1-5. through five. The life of the faker. He says, he says, The last times there will be there will there will come the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. They'll be lovers of money. Listen to these fakers. Listen to these people who, who belong to church. They they seem like they belong to God's people. Listen to who they are. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. Unappeasable, which means you can't reconcile. You can't reconcile with them. They won't, they won't accept an apology. They'll, they'll carry a grudge to the grave. They're slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They don't love God. They'd, they'd much rather have pleasure. They have the appearance of godliness, but denying its pleasure power. Avoid such people, Paul says. This is who they are. Now, we would love to, we would love to be able to say, we'll never meet these kinds of people in church. We'll never meet these kinds of people uh, among those who claim to be Christians. This will never happen. But that's not true, is it? I mean, we could swap stories, couldn't we? We could have a, we could have a good old time today swapping stories um, about people who, unfortunately, that's what they looked like to us. That's who they were. That's how they acted. That's what they were filled with. People who were enslaved to money, enslaved to their own ego and their own reputation. Cruel to people. Church people, I have seen, I, I have heard some of the most cruel stuff come from the mouths of church people heartless. No self-control. I mean, they have great self-control when life is going well, but as soon as their world is rocked a little bit, they fall apart. Paul says it shows up when they're young, disobedient to their parents, and then as they grow, we see that that disobedience to parents was really just disobedience to God. And then it shows up in all kinds of ways in their life. There's slanders saying some of the most ridiculous, untrue, awful things. They're unappeasable. They refuse to accept an apology. They refuse to forgive. Paul is saying when you see a person who's acting like this, it doesn't matter if they dress nice, if they smell nice. It doesn't matter if they're an interesting teacher or preacher. It doesn't matter if they have the appearance of godliness. You take a close look and you see a bunch of this stuff, you can be sure that they are denying the power of godliness. You can be sure they don't belong to God. That's the life of the faker. Number two, the ministry of the faker. So number one, Paul, Paul gives us as the first part of this little biography here, he, say he gives us the, the life of the faker. Number two, we have the ministry of the faker. Look at verses six through eight. It says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Now, we, we don't know all of what these fakers believed. We don't know what kind of doctrine and, and theology they had adopted, but somewhere along the line, they had just turned their back on the Gospel. They turned their back on the truth of God's Word. They opposed the truth. And they weren't satisfied to just believe this garbage all by themselves. They wanted, to, they wanted others to believe it with them. So they creep in. This is the same kind of word that a, when you use for a worm or a snake... They snaked in. And, and Paul says they capture weak women. Now, of course, when we first hear that term, um, King James, silly women, or gullible women, maybe is in your translation you have there, or weak women, of course, automatically, it sounds a little rude, a little sexist, um, but we know for sure that Paul doesn't think of women in general as weak or as silly or as gullible um, Paul speaks very highly of Timothy's mother, his grandmother. He he drills into Timothy, you should be thankful that those were strong gospel women and they taught you well. He says to Timothy, You should be forever thankful and you should honor their legacy. You should be thankful they weren't weak and gullible. So when Paul's talking about weak women here, he's he's thinking of a very specific, it's like very specific stories. These, these false teachers, these fakers, they would come in and they would, and they would come to women in their homes during the day. Um, and they, sometimes they would even join the household staff as like a tutor for the children or something. And then they would find women. And when Paul says weak, what he means is they are burdened down with guilty consciences. When it says burdened with sins, they are burdened down with sins that they have committed in the past. They feel awful. They're not strong in the gospel. They don't know what to do with their guilty conscience. They're not taking that guilty conscience straight to the gospel. And so these um, fakers are coming in and they're using that to their advantage and they're leading them astray. This is what Moses' opponents did generations earlier. These guys would use tricks and magic and, and to try to persuade people away from following Moses, away from the truth. Paul says there's nothing new. This, is, this has been going on for generations. It's going to continue to go on. It looks a little different now, but it's the same. This, these false teachers find someone weak in the gospel, burdened down with past guilt, never arriving at a knowledge of what the Bible says and what it means. They capture them. They lead them astray. This is the ministry of the faker. This is why Paul says, "You have to avoid these people. You have to avoid them. They're not going to bring anything but trouble." Uh, in 2004, I was a I was a young whippersnapper, 23 um, ish. Yeah, 23. I was 23 in 2004. Um, I was hired as a youth pastor at a church in North Carolina and those of you, I'm, next month sometime is going to be my five years here at First Baptist and there are those of you who have been here for five years and you every day in some way regret that you did. yes and I know that but can you imagine what the people who were sending their kids to my youth group when I was 23 um, yeah so it could be worse is all I'm saying to you Okay, grow up alright the, the, uh, the senior pastor who hired me was a monster. A terrible person. He was, he was entertaining. He was funny. He could, he could tell a good story when he was preaching. A lot of people liked him. But he was a monster. He, he, he used the church as his cash cow. He, he, he took all kinds of money from the church. He had two long standing affairs. He thought every woman who worked there just belonged to him. He, he would touch them whenever he wanted to, however he wanted to. He was a monster. It took years for the church to, to gather up the strength, the courage, to force him to resign. Uh, but his, his theology, though, over time, it ma- he said some of the most ridiculous things from the pulpit. But because he was so beloved, people just eh. he's a monster. And it took us too long, but finally we got to the place where he said, it's over. It's over. Paul is saying, see, in chapter 2, Paul said to us, you're gentle, you're patient, you endure evil, right? You, you gently correct. But he's helping us to understand here that there is a time when enough is enough. There is a time when it is, it's over. You've, you've given them a chance. You've gently corrected them. Now it's time to avoid them. Sometimes this means um, the church member after we go through all the, the, the steps of church discipline. And I'm so thankful we've never had to do that since I've been here. And I hope we never have to. But sometimes you do have to. If they're just doing outright damage to the, to the glory of God. To the fame of the gospel. We have, to, we, we have to stop it. And sometimes if you're in a church where this is what the, the ministry leader or the pastor is doing. If you can't get people to wake up. Then you've got to just Go. Because th- these kind of people, they bring nothing but trouble. They bring nothing but trouble. This is the ministry of the faker. The life of the faker, the ministry of the faker. And then number three, let's see, finally, the, the, um, the end for the faker. And when I say finally, I mean finally to part A of the sermon. Yeah, so don't, don't get your hopes up. Keep coloring, kids. All right. The end for the faker. Verse 9, But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as with, was that of those two men. He's, he's saying, just like Moses' opponents, Janus and Jambres, they got theirs, these people are going to get theirs. They're going to get what's coming to them. Paul is just so confident. You've you, you got to pick up on that here in verses 1-9. through 9. He is just so confident. He knows they're coming. He knows they're going to show up. Paul is saying, these, these don't be surprised when fakers show up it will rattle you if, if you're not ready for it or if you think somehow it's caught god by surprise or if you think somehow the, the gospel's not strong enough to deal with this or you know if you're if, if you're if you're thinking no there's no way this can happen then it'll rattle you unnecessarily paul says if if god's story of redemption think about this is is big enough and complex enough to to include people like judas iscariot And you can be sure it's going to include more and more fakers as well. But then you can also be sure they will get what's coming to them. They will be judged. They will be found out. They will be punished forever in hell. They've denied the gospel. Denying the power of godliness means just they're flat out denying the gospel. They are opposing the truth. And they're trying to get other people to oppose the truth as well. They will be judged. So that's 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 the life of the faker, that's the ministry of the faker, that's the end for the faker. Let's not be surprised when they show up. And and, and let's not be surprised that after we have reasoned with them and corrected them with gentleness, there may be a time where we just have to we just have to avoid them. Alright, so now let's stop talking. Let's not let's let's stop saying them. Alright? Let's stop saying the word. Them. And let's let's be done with that and let's think about us now. Let's be done with them and let's start thinking about you and about me. Let's, let's, Let's think about us. Here's what I don't want I don't want the appearance of godliness. I don't want to be a faker. I don't want any of that in my life. Any of that in my heart. I want the power of godliness. I want the Holy Spirit of God changing me and growing me. I want God helping me to understand what His Word says and what it means and I want Him giving me strength to obey. I want to, I want to live a life that joyfully honors God. I want the power of godliness. I don't want to be used... I don't. I, I mean, I don't want to... to, to Lead people astray. I want to be used by God to to lead people to Jesus. So it's not enough for us to simply avoid the fakers. We also need to avoid being the fakers. And so this passage, there's some clear help in this passage. If we want to kill any kind of fakery, not a word, we want to kill that in our hearts, in our lives, there's, there's three things really quickly well moderately quickly um we got to do one we have to stick close to the truth stick close to the truth this passage is it's giving us the difference between those who oppose the truth and those who don't stick close to the truth if you want the power of godliness in your life stick close to the truth your, your life is a series of, of tiny decisions. Am, am I going to believe the truth of the Word of God? Or am I not? Am I going to obey the clear teaching of the Word of God? Or am I not? These are, these, this is one of the questions we, we must always just be asking ourselves. Am I obeying the Word of God? And there are times, of course, where we're not sure wh- how we should apply God's Word. We're not sure in this situation what it means to obey the Word of God. And so we, we ask. We, we, we look for help. We ask our pastors and elders. We, we pray. We try to sort it out. We think through it. We make the best decision that we can. The thing that we think most closely sticks to the Word of God. Nothing matters more. If we want the power of godliness. If we want the, the strength that comes from the Spirit of God to joyfully live a life that honors God, and we have to stick close to the Word of God. The difference between the fakers and the, and the not, between those who have just the appearance of godliness and those who, those who have the power of godliness, the difference is one group opposes the Word of God, and one doesn't. So we have to stick close to the truth and then right along with that, number two, this goes like hand in hand with it, we have to love God and love people. What stands out to us as we look at like verses two through four again, we see that these people, that these fakers, they love themselves, they do not love people and they do not love God. Verse two, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. It goes on and on and on. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So we, so we stick close to the Word of God. We ask ourselves, how can I obey the Word of God? And then we also ask ourselves, am I loving God and loving people? So the more that we just try to do that, and it's that simple. The more we try to do that, we kill this kind of behavior in our lives. We can't be greedy and love people at the same time. You can't be arrogant and love people at the same time. You can't disobey your parents and love God at the same time. You can't do it. So we are, we are purposefully trying to love God. But as we go through life, we're asking ourselves, what would it look like in this situation to love God, to show people that I love God? And what would it look like in this situation to love people? If we don't do that, I, I, if I don't do that, I revert to greed and pride, arrogance, gossip, Loving pleasure. If I, if I don't work through life saying, how can I stick close to the word of God? How can I love God and love others? If that's not the way I'm going, I will end up with this kind of garbage in my life. I don't want it. And then finally, and this is the real finally, number three, we have to take our guilty conscience To Jesus. Take our guilty conscience to Jesus. Look at verses 6 and 7 again, talking about the the way that these fakers operate. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions. Look at verse 7 always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Here's the thing. Even after we've become Christians, even after we've been saved, or maybe it's stuff we just remember from years and years ago, we we can all think of Plenty of times where we chose wrongly, where we decided not to follow the Word of God. We decided not to love God, not to love others, just to be self-obsessed and do what we wanted to do. Who cares what the Word of God says? Who cares what loving God would mean? Who cares what loving others would mean? We don't care. We're going to do what we want to do. We have those stories in our history. Maybe we have those stories in like, you know, this morning before church. There are times when our guilty conscience can just absolutely weigh us down. We have a little bit of insight here, don't we, into how people get caught up in being fakers. Here's one of the big ways it starts. They're burdened with sin. They feel awful about the stuff that they've done in the past. They feel awful. They have guilt and shame, and it's weighing them down. And the thing is, here's the thing that's okay. Like, we should feel bad about the bad stuff we've done. We don't feel shame about the stuff that we didn't do. But we should feel ashamed of the stuff that's shameful. We should feel bad about the stuff that's bad. We have to take our sins seriously. You're a bad person. I'm not as bad as you, but I'm a bad person as well. We have, we have stuff in our history that we are not proud of. But here's the thing. Please listen. Just sitting around and feeling bad is not what God wants for you. He wants you to, listen, arrive at a knowledge of the truth. He wants you to go to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this. I never thought about it until this week. I love this idea of arriving. You, you don't know what it is to arrive until you've taken a van trip with six kids. You don't. To, the, the relief of arrival is, it brings tears to my eyes. There's no more flat tires. There's no more bathroom breaks. I mean, if someone wants to go to the bathroom, I just point them down the hall. Grandma's got a bathroom. Go. We don't have to pull off the side of the road 17 times. We don't have to do it. I don't. I don't there's, there's no more of these, these kids in the back seat, and they're fighting about who has invaded whose airspace, right? Everybody shut up. I love you, but you got to shut up. If you hear two things I say, I love you and shut up, just hear the last part. We... I love to arrive and just plop down on a couch and just collapse. Ah. That's what we have here. Do you understand that? That's what we have. We have arriving at the gospel. We take our weary, weary load that we cannot bear. We cannot, ca- we cannot carry it. We cannot carry it. You cannot carry your guilty conscience. You can't do it. So you collapse on Jesus. You arrive. You collapse. You plop down. You say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I've sinned. I did something that was just wrong. I I thought something that was wrong. I said something that was wrong. I can't carry it around. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for taking my punishment. Thank you so much for covering me with your righteousness. Thank you for casting my sin as far as the east is from the west. Thank you that the Father rejoices over me the way he rejoices over you because you've poured out your blood for me. Thank you. Please, please help me to never do this again. Please help me to never say that again. Please help me never think that again. And we just collapse on it. We say, I can't can't carry it. Only Jesus can bear our weary load. Only He can do it. And here's the thing. If you are trying to bear it yourself, you will end up in all kinds of stupid, non-gospel, non-scripture ways of thinking. You will end up in righteousness. You will end up in bitterness. You will end up in a poor view of God. You can't do it. So arrive, arrive, collapse on Jesus. Here's the thing for the Christian we never stop doing this. We never stop collapsing on Jesus. Maybe maybe you've never believed the gospel. You just you've never believed it. You never believed it. And you're not gonna to talk to me about it because you think I yell this much in real life. Um, But there are nice people here you can talk to. Jesus, Jesus died for our forgiveness. He died so that we could be right with God, so we could be forgiven by God. He, he paid the, the debt that we could not pay. If you've never believed that, if you've never said, you know what, I'm a sinner, I deserve punishment, I stand guilty before God, Jesus Christ is my only hope to be forgiven, to be brought into the family. If, if you've never just believed that and trust in that, do it now. Do it now. Believe the gospel now. And then if you if you have, if you are a believer Then let's not sit here and try to carry the weight of our guilty consciences. Let's collapse on Jesus. Let's find mercy in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I uh, feel like I've yelled a lot this morning, maybe more than usual. And I'm not, I don't, I just, I'm just thankful that I can collapse on your son, that I can arrive at the truth because of your spirit's work in my heart. I'm just, I'm just thankful. I pray that you would help us, God, not to be people who deny the power of godliness. Help us to be people, God, who stick close to the truth who live our lives trying to love you and love others. And I pray, God, that you would help us when we are just feeling bad about ourselves. That we would that we would collapse on Jesus. That we would arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Help us, God. We don't want to be fakers. We don't want to be fakers. We don't want just the appearance of godliness. We want the power of godliness. We want, we want you to be changing us growing us in your grace and using us for your glory. We want this with great joy, God. We are, we are looking to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.